Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan. Today, we'll be covering the last seven days. I'm Keith Minconi of ICRT News. No Gavin today, but we have, once again, we are happy to welcome back into the studio, Jason Pan of the Taipei Times. Jason, welcome back. Good evening. Yeah, well, uh, nice to be here again. I'm not even sure if you ever even left the studio. <laughs> uh, and uh, also, we are happy to welcome back onto the program after quite a bit of time, uh, Jane Rickards, who reports just about everywhere as a Taiwan-based freelancer and the former president of the Taiwan Foreign Correspondents Club. Jane, good to have you back too. Yeah, good evening, Kate. Of course, the top story for this week is the sudden though not quite shocking, implosion of Trans-Asia Airways. Uh, so that's going to occupy us for the whole first half of the show. But you're going to want to stick around for the second half as well, because we're going to invite onto the program the new Power Party's executive chairman, Huang Kuo-chang, uh, to basically join us as a commentator. Uh, you know, on this show, we always get the, the, the blue and the green view on things, uh, whether we're talking about the KMT said this or the DPP said that. So uh, I thought we could break things up with, you know, a third force, so to speak. Uh, so he will be joining us to discuss uh, the latest on marriage equality, activism in Taiwan, uh, U.S.-Taiwan ties uh, in the wake of Donald Trump announcing that he indeed will not uh, follow through on putting the U.S. into the TPP, uh, and also uh, on cross-strait ties after James Soong returns from the APEC summit. Uh, so all that and more in the second half is what you can look forward to. Uh, but first, as I said, we're going to have to talk about TransAsia right here. Uh, this is a story that broke Tuesday uh, at when we woke up to find, hey, wait a second, uh, Taiwan's third largest air carrier isn't carrying anybody anymore. Uh, they basically made the announcement that they were suspending flights. Uh, we learned later in the day that uh, their company is basically circling the drain due to financial reasons, uh, and it's it's going to be disbanded. So this has been the main story for the last couple of days in Taiwan, trying to figure out what happened, why it happened so suddenly. I mean, it wasn't completely sudden. Of course, uh, we've uh, this is the same airline that had uh, two major uh, accidents in the span of about a year. I think that was in 2014 and 2015, both of those accidents. Uh, and, and, and so we know that it's been a troubled company, uh, but perhaps we didn't quite grasp uh, how suddenly everything would fall apart for them. Uh, the, the management has basically said that they wanted to dissolve the company while they still uh, didn't need to declare bankruptcy, as currently they have more assets than liabilities. So they're saying that they're still going to be able to pay off all, all of their debtors. Uh, that's one of the things that they've said. Uh, let's look at the most recent headlines that uh, came out today. Of course, uh, this is also a company that employs about 1,700 people. Uh, and uh, many of those 1,700 people, if not all of them, are very upset about what just happened. Uh, apparently, they were not consulted uh, by management before they made this announcement. And many of them just found out the same way all of us found out through the TV, through the radio, through the newspaper. So uh, not, not a great way to find out that you're going to need to look for a new job. Uh, and so more than 200 TransAsia Airway employees yesterday protested outside of the Ministry of Labor. Uh, they are demanding that the ministry intervene uh, and uh, force the firm to negotiations. Of course, there has already been a couple abortive attempts at union meetings between uh, labor representatives and the company. Those haven't gotten too far. Obviously, uh, emotions are running pretty high. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what comes out of all that. Meanwhile, for those of you who are wondering how you're going to get around in the next couple of months, well, uh, it seems like China Airlines is going to be picking up a lot of the slack. Of course, I think China Airlines is either the first or the second largest airline in Taiwan. Uh, and so they, uh, they're going to take a lot of those flight paths. Uh, the Minister of Transportation and Communications, Ho Chi Dan, uh, he came out yesterday uh, and confirmed that uh, other airlines are going to get some of the rights to uh, cross-strait uh, air paths. So it's a little bit unclear how all of this is going to be divvied up, but clearly China Airlines is going to get a big share of those air rights. Uh, and from there, it's just going to be a big mess, and we're going to have to see what's going to happen, especially as we get closer to uh, the Chinese New Year holiday, which uh, even even in the best of times can be quite difficult. Uh, but uh, I know that, Jason, you have been following this story uh, in your work for the uh, Taipei Times. So uh, what have I left out so far? What else do our listeners need to know about all this? This whole thing is uh, pretty 
big mess. It's been called a debacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I called that a few minutes ago. Maybe okay. I used a different <laughs> word, but yeah, definitely a big mess. That's fair. For example, they declare to dissolve, but they uh, there was a lot of problem about insider trading prior of their stock. Mm-hmm. So the judiciary is investigating into that. But a lot of commentator experts saying, you should be investigating not insider trading, but about the fraud. Mm. It's a big fraud. A, a lot of experts or legislators are calling it. From the latest news on this, which there can be a big, uh, continued big development, it, it exposed a lot of issue in terms of Taiwan's uh, political and business, how they operate, is that um, there were clear warnings uh, before and also that the the business itself, they, they could not just say, uh, dissolve, we're going to uh, fold up and not leaving. They stranded thousands of uh, passengers <laughs> on, on the flight in China, Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, and Japan. Mm-hmm. The statistic I saw is that this is going to affect 100,000 people. 100,000 yeah. people. It's yeah. a lot of people. And this earlier this month, they were selling uh, uh, their package uh, discount mm-hmm. at the travel fair. Mm. So, and... There was a lot of legislators and people are calling for reinvestigation, and so judiciary has go to uh, freeze uh, accounts and mm-hmm. uh, uh, impose uh, travel restrictions. Yes, yeah, some uh, some consumer welfare advocates are saying that this is basic. This is fraud, basically. If they knew that they were going to disband the company, but they were still selling these things after the date where they thought that they would uh, disband the company, you know, that's that's very misleading, at least. There's also a lot of issue that came up when people examined the, the background of the the company and along with his, uh, its uh, the whole family, the mm-hmm. Vincent Lin and his uh, father. Lin Xiaoxin, who hold the, the parent company. Now, uh, it didn't take long for this issue to get politicized, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, if we're talking about air carriers, uh, then you can associate that perhaps with uh, tourism, and you can associate tourism with mainland tourism. And if you are of a mind to do so, you can say, ah, this is a clear sign that uh, mainland tourism is hurting the aviation industry. Uh, and because actually TransAsia does handle a lot of cross-strait flights, uh, it's the drop in that industry that uh, has really uh, signaled their downfall, and therefore this is yet another sign of Tsai's failing cross-strait policy and uh, you know the, 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 the penalty that Taiwan is going to take because of that. Uh, that's certainly something that we heard from a lot of KMT uh, lawmakers this week. Uh, do you think that there's anything to that? This, this issue about TransAsia, how they uh, folded the whole situation Definitely, KMT and uh, Blue Cam has making political capital, mm-hmm. and there's some evidence that, of course, the uh, cross trade tourism has hurt them. But overall, economy also has been they are not doing so well. That China was the one they made, they took a political decision to basically close up or restrict traveling, all kind of interaction between Taiwan and China as, so, as soon as DPP took power mm. in May. Uh, so you think there could be some influence from that? There could be. But overall, the economy, global economy, and it's still you know, on, a, you know, on rebound or mm-hmm. stagnating. But on the other hand, there was a lot of evidence that TransAsia, it's a whole company with a lot of records of mismanagement, negligence in terms of aviation safety. Look at the two uh, mm-hmm. uh, disaster, uh, the two crashes in uh, twenty fourteen and uh, twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, at least the Green Camp and the DPP legislature, they've been talking about in the past few days. It has been a deliberate plot by the parent company, the Lin family, who also holds this Zhongxinbao uh, Chen, this called Seacom. Uh, and also a Gosun construction. They were trying to sell this airline. Uh, there was a report in the uh, in a news journal in in June that mm. they were going to sell it. They were looking for buyer basically long mm-hmm. time. And there was a, already a lot of uh, say financial issues uh, in terms of debt and uh, performance of their company. However. The uh, the problem is that their aviation is highly regulated industry. Mm. It's it's a uh, 
it's a sort of a monopoly given to certain uh, companies to operate. Mm-hmm. So what happened is that the TransAsia, they have been, in the, in the past, with KMT in power, they've been getting a lot of uh, favor or close business connection. Mm. And they'll be, you, you look at the TransAsia, they were in 2010 and 20, uh, 2009, they were able to get something like uh, a dozen or so flight with China into China, mm. and that was a big expansion at the time. Mm. Anyway, the Green Camp are saying they they have a lot of very close business relationship with very top political circle in China, mm. and that Gosan has a lot of business interest in terms of uh, their uh, cement factory construction in China as well. Mm-hmm. They develop very close business relationship. So it all comes down to mismanagement and also Taiwan's uh, Civil Aviation Authority, CAA, mm-hmm. doing a very bad job of monitoring how do they not know that this company having financial difficulty. And mm-hmm. after two air crashes, they still allow it to, them to expand, continue to operate this flight, and also mm-hmm. they did not impose any kind of uh, strong uh, regulation or monitoring, scrutinizing about their uh, aviation safety. Mm-hmm. They even also allowed them to have this budget airline, uh, V-Air, which mm-hmm. went under earlier this year. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of question about Taiwan's aviation regula- uh, regulation the CIA role in this, and mm-hmm. let's see how investigation or you know, come out in the coming days. Um, yes, I just want to point out that whenever anything like this happens in Taiwan, like a major company goes under, there's always a lot of finger pointing. There's mm-hmm. always a lot of conspiracy theories. That's kind of the hallmark of the local culture here. Mm-hmm. So um, when Jason was talking about that, um, I know your research is brilliant and everything like that, but I, I take that all with a grain of salt. Um, I think I. Maybe all these claims are true, maybe they're not, but I would urge um, listeners on the show to take it all with a grain of salt and look very hard at the facts Mm -hmm. because every time something like this happens, there's always, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of conspiracy theories (laughs) and, you know, the KMT blames the DPP and the DPP blames the KMT and Mm -hmm. everyone blames China. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so, So perhaps just incompetence, not, not necessary. We don't necessarily need a conspiracy theory here. Sometimes conspiracy theory comes true, or sometimes there are some factual basis. Of course, um, I'd like to stress that too. I'm just—I'm yeah. not saying don't believe it. I'm yeah. saying right. just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. Another issue that came up is that uh, uh, for sure, uh, aviation safety is the uh, most important. We're putting our lives on the line. These are uh, pilots who are not well trained, who did not get a license, who are not qualified for flying this, who yeah. failed a test yeah. in exactly the same way that he made the mistake that led to last year's aviation ex- accident. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's what made me most concerned. I spoke to mm. some fellow journalists, and actually that's what made them most concerned too. It's not actually the accidents. It was the fact that so many pilots failed the tests. So. Right, right. The, the other uh, issue that came up is that, as you have seen, the media, KMT, trying to blame on incompetence. Uh, Tsai Ing-wen, mm-hmm. or the DPB, uh, how government is uh, not doing a good job of regulating. But... The Green Camp are saying they are looking at at least a preliminary investigation. A lot of this problem is a leftover of the KMT officials who are still in the um, Ministry of Transportation and Communication, the MOTC, the Chao Tong Bu. A lot of these are so-called in the, in the inside group, and they are controlling Taiwan's transportation sector. Mm-hmm. All kind of highway construction, MRT, Airlines, trucking industry, mm-hmm. and a lot of these, at least the Green Camp are saying, they're still the KMT uh, officials controlling. And TransAsia has very good relations with KMT in the past. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that some of these re, uh, MOTC and also uh, CAA, the uh, Civil Aviation Body, mm-hmm. a lot of retire. They went straight into TransAsia or the Lin family's uh, corporation, mm-hmm. and they either become PR or the official uh, dining. This uh, one story came up uh, yesterday is that a lot of regulator in when they are going to on this uh, review or assessment, they are actually on free air ticket on business seats, and they have a uh, privilege in terms of their offices. Uh, at all these airline companies. Mm. So anyway, what they're saying is that some of these becomes like they 
they are buddy with each with right. each other, and they they cannot do a good job of scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, in in terms of air air airline safety, so mm-hmm. that's a lot of problem entrenched culture of business and politician working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would add to that that um, I really don't think we can blame Tsai Ing-wen for this, if this is true, because um, she's only been here six months and what she expected to do, like, you know, first day in office, inspect the entire CAA and sack all the staff. I mean, you know, I just think it, I don't agree with those arguments that if there are problems with the CAA that Tsai Ing-wen should be blamed. Mm-hmm. All right. So a, a big heaping mess, especially if you were planning your trip. Uh, through TransAsia. So uh, our heart goes out to you if that is the case. Hopefully you can find another way to get wherever you're going. Uh, But where we are going right now is straight to a break, so we're going to have to end that story right there. When we return, well, we are very excited to uh, invite onto the show uh, NPP legislator Huang Kuachang. So uh, stay tuned for that in just a couple of minutes when we return to Taiwan This Week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Jason Pan and Jane Rickards. Kicking off the second half, uh, and we are very happy to invite in a, a very special guest to our little studio, Legislator Huang Guachang. Uh, legislator, very happy to have you here. Very happy to be here. And I'm told that you also go by Casey Huang, is that right? Yes, my name call me Casey. All right, perfect. So uh, It's much easier. Yeah, <laughs> easier for me, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, let's just do a little bit more introducing to get all of our listeners up to speed. Uh, like we said in the first half, Legislator Huang is the executive chairman of the New Power Party, which won five seats in the legislative yuan in January's election. Uh, the leadership of this party, many of them come out of the Sunflower Movement uh, from back in 2014. Uh, Legislator Huang is one of these figures as well. Uh, he's also a former researcher at Academia Sinica. Uh, I believe you were a legal scholar there. Yes, I used to. I used to be a law professor. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where your background is. Oh, kind of like Obama. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let that parallel sit there. He's much better. <laughs> uh, d- d- don't be too modest. Don't be too <laughs> modest. Uh, well, 2016 must be an absolutely crazy year for you. Because, I mean, if we look at this trajectory that you're on, two years ago, you were in the legislative yuan, occupying it as a protester, uh, very much in opposition to the powers that be, now you go to work there every day in the exact same building. That's where your office is located. So 2016, are you adjusting okay? How has this year been for you? The feeling is quite uh, complicated. Mm. But I believe we adjust just fine. Mm-hmm. We are uh, pretty much into our job within a very short period of time to be able to focus on what we are supposed to do there. Mm-hmm. So... Quick snap transition. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we have a couple of stories that we are going to focus on in the second half, uh, and uh, we're just going to get Legislator Huang's views on these things. Uh, But let's set up the stories first, uh, and we're going to start with the TPP. Uh, This is a story that's coming uh, once again out of the upcoming Trump presidency. Uh, which we've covered every single week for the last couple of weeks, started almost every single show with this. We're almost as bad as U.S. media on this point, talking about Trump so much, but hopefully it'll level out in a bit. Uh, But there was actually more news out this week concerning things said and or done by U.S. President-elect Donald Trump. Uh, This time it actually wasn't too much of a shocker here. Uh, On Monday, in a video posted to YouTube, the president-elect confirmed that he will follow through on a campaign promise to withdraw the U.S. from the massive regional trade agreement, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, Of course, uh, we've been talking about this particular trade deal on the show for a long time because uh, it's been a big part of Taiwan's future trade plans, Uh, at least, you know, if you ask the administration that. That's been true for the Ma administration. That is now true for the Thai administration. Now, earlier this week, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, David Lee, uh, representing the Thai administration, Uh, Tried to downplay how big of a deal this is going to be. His point was basically that even if we can't get one of these big regional trade deals that is, you know, involving many countries all at once, uh, there still might be a path forward on these bilateral talks. You know, maybe just do one country at a time, uh, improve trade deals that way. Uh, Taiwan has had some success with that in the past with Singapore and others. 
but let's 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 keep thinking big. Let's keep talking about the TPP uh, because some folks have said you know maybe it's possible uh, to actually salvage this. Uh, you know, just with the remaining countries, just because the U.S. is gone, uh, maybe there's enough interest there to still make something happen. Uh, Japan came out and said, not so much. No U.S., no deal. Uh, there's just no point. Jane, what's your take? Do you think that this big sort of multilateral agreement is basically dead in the water without the U.S.? Um, I think it would be very diff. I think they could try to scrape them together. And I, I think I read a report saying Japan and Australia were talking about going ahead with it without the US. But the US is just such an enormous market that um, it wouldn't be, obviously, wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. I think also it'd be quite tempting for a lot of countries um, just to join RCEP, the Chinese backed Regional mm-hmm. Comprehensive Economic Partnership, mm-hmm. unless there's sort of political will. Mm-hmm. and strategic will, because that's what the TPP essentially was. It was kind mm-hmm. of to balance Chinese commercial domination. Right, right. Uh, a lot of strategic goals there, not just the economic goals. Uh, from Taiwan's perspective, maybe I can get your perspective on this as well, uh, why was the TPP so important? I mean, you've said that before in the show that uh, Taiwan really needed something yes. like this. Uh, maybe maybe you yes. could lay out your views on why that is. Okay, well, um, as probably everyone in this room knows, um, 70% of Taiwan's GDP is export. So it's a, Taiwan is an export-dominant um, economy. So if every uh, nation in the region is not paying tariffs and there's sort of tariffs involved in Taiwanese trade, it will cripple Taiwan to some extent. Now, Taiwan's best chance of getting into a multilateral free trade agreement or the you know, a free trade network was the TPP because the other main player is the regional um, RCEP, right? Regional mm-hmm. Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Mm-hmm. Now, that's Chinese-backed. And what I've been told is that China would expect Taiwan to make significant concessions on sovereignty. That was during the Ma administration. Mm-hmm. Like what Ma, the sort of the 1992 consensus right. wasn't enough. Right, right. But now we're looking at the Thai administration. So Taiwan's chances of getting into RCEP of Pretty limited, pretty yep. limited without making yep. huge concessions. Yep. Uh, Legislator Huang, uh, we kind of heard there that, uh, you know, the, the, the TPP was a part of the strategy. Now it doesn't seem like a possibility. Uh, I, I, I feel like the uh, New Power Party has been somewhat more suspicious of regional trade deals, uh, has highlighted some of the potential uh, negative consequences that they could have. So now that this is off the table, what do you see as Taiwan's next step? About <clears throat> half a year ago, the question I was asked most frequently mm. was uh, where NPP stand mm-hmm. on the issue mm-hmm. of TPP. Yeah. And at that time, I was very cautious mm-hmm. about the future mm-hmm. of TPP from what I heard. Uh, both of the presidential candidates, they had some reservation mm-hmm. about the TPP. Mm-hmm. And several times when I chat with some representatives from the United States, I asked them uh, what is the the prospect mm-hmm. of TPP in the future. They always told me that don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Whoever got e- elected, mm-hmm. it will go through. Mm. But I was very suspicious. Mm-hmm about that kind of prediction. Mm. And right now, Mr. Donald Trump was mm-hmm. elected. Uh, his decision was not surprising to me at all. The MPP's position has always to be that uh, Taiwan needs to transform its own industry and uh, find a way to enhance the value uh, either is the product or the service we rendered uh, in a global trade. Mm. So I probably will not see the the failure of TPP as a setback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that might give us another push for our government mm-hmm. to think very hard how the government can help our business to put more uh, investment on research mm-hmm. and try to change the way they they make money before. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that 
if we continue the old path,、mm-hmm. we we can change our economy simply by joint,、mm-hmm. uh, multinational trade agreement.、Mm-hmm. So basically, what you're saying is, whether or not you're in one of these agreements, Taiwan still needs to make sure that its economy is advancing and moving up,、uh, like the value ladder, m- yes, m- moving on to make that is the most、mm-hmm. important thing. Yeah,、mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I mean, as as Jane was kind of hinting at, even if Taiwan is successful in. Uh, making its economy more advanced and getting away from you know some of the some, like the manufacturing and that sort of thing、uh, into you know more ideas based economy kind of stuff. Even if it's successful at that,、uh, where is it going to sell its its products? I mean, where is the market for that? If every other country in Asia、uh, has trade agreements and Taiwan is facing these significant tariff barriers, I have to admit the tariff. Is、uh, concerned、mm-hmm. for us when we try to sell our products to other countries.、Mm-hmm. But don't forget that we are still a member of the WTO、mm-hmm. system,、mm. and most of our technology products are free of tax and、mm-hmm. tariff、mm-hmm. in most of our trading partners.、Mm-hmm. And let me put it this way: think、uh, think about that. What if? iPhone、mm-hmm. is manufactured and、uh, is the Taiwan's product.、Mm. Do we still need to worry so much about the tariff?、Mm-hmm. I don't think so.、Mm. It really、uh, depends on what kind of products、mm. and what kind of service、mm-hmm. Taiwan can provide to the global. Trade system,、mm-hmm. but don't get me wrong. I'm not saying、uh, any kind of trade agreement is is not necessary.、Mm-hmm. I'm simply saying that the most important job for our government is to help our business to find a a new way and、uh, to to moving up the value ladders.、Mm-hmm. In terms of trade agreement,、uh, NPP's position is. Uh, we think the time has come for the world to think about、uh, to use the concept of fair trade、mm. instead of free trade,、mm-hmm. because there are many other issues and values involved.、Mm-hmm. So even without TPP, I think、uh, the United States and Taiwan have a lot common to、mm-hmm. work on together.、Mm-hmm. Such as exploring the possibility of signing bilateral trade agreement, if that is beneficial、mm-hmm. to both parties, right? Like an agreement that would focus more on labor rights, environmental protections,、yes. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I just want to add that、um, I agree with、um, lawmaker Huang that it's very, very important for Taiwan to upgrade its industries and、um, not rely on the so-called OEM model.、Um, so I'm, agree- I'm in agreement with you about that.、Um, just another point that、um, bilateral agreements、um, might be harder to sign with Southeast Asia because of Chinese pressure. That's、mm. what、um, political scientists told me. But、um, what someone at the Taiwan Institute for Economic Research mentioned to me recently was so-called sort of Package FTAs that you can sort of first sign a bilateral agreement with a country, then you add on another component, then you add on another component. Before you know, you've practically got an FTA, but it's just not、mm-hmm. called that, and it、mm-hmm. will go under more, more go, go under the radar more. So that's another approach Taiwan could take. But the future is probably definitely bilateral agreements.、Mm. All right, so let's、uh, return to the topic of U.S.-Taiwan ties. Stepping away from trade、uh, for a second and back into Trump land, back into security land.、Uh, this is a conversation we've basically been having every single time on the show for the last month. But you know, it's 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 huge. What is、uh, Taiwan's future relationship with the U.S. going to look like?、Uh, I, you know, it's, it's it's important for us to think this through. Uh, you actually gave some comment on this recently as to what you would like to see. Uh, and it sounded like you were kind of hoping that this could be、uh, a time for Taiwan to sort of reorient its approach to、uh, national defense.、Uh, of course, if we, as we've discussed on the show before, Donald Trump has 
made it seem like he might be less interested in focusing so much on Asia, maybe withdrawing as much support as he's had for uh, Japan or South Korea that might have implications for Taiwan. We don't really know because he said a whole bunch of stuff and it's hard to kind of interpret what it all means when you add it all together. Uh, But you actually made the call for the government to invest more in indigenous defense capabilities. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you were hoping to see there. For the past few decades, we have seen... uh our government spending a lot of taxpayers' money on buying weapons from other countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we, we do appreciate uh, the help we get from our friend, the United States. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe the time has come for Taiwan to, to rethink about that kind of approach uh, maybe we should start trying to increase our own capability of uh, manufacturing the weapon on our own. Mm-hmm. O- of course, with the help and uh, the assistance from our friends and our airlines, such as the United States, because we cannot continue to simply rely on buying weapons mm-hmm. from other countries. Mm-hmm. NPP's position is Taiwan is and has been an independent state, despite the fact most countries around the world do not recognize us as such. Mm. But when we want to become a normal state, we want our de jure independence, we cannot always rely on our friends to to do our job, Hmm. to defend Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Taiwan needs to prepare itself Mm -hmm. from uh, any forms of invasion from the Beijing government. So I think it's time for, for Taiwan to invest more on uh, building up our own defense industries. Mm-hmm. It will help not only uh, it will help us not only economically mm-hmm. but also militarily. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, is the responsible thing for mm-hmm. Taiwan to, to do. Mm. Jason, do you have any? Yes, definitely. That's the way to go. And uh, Taiwan has all the uh, basic conditions. For example, we have very good, you know, the high tech sector, um, IC, and also electronics and uh, machinery sector, and that's all the uh, component needed uh, for us. For example, a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, the weaponry advanced, like say jets or warships and uh, uh, weapon that needs high tech electronics and a, a lot of you know telecommunication and radar. Mm. Now. Tsai Ing-wen, her platform on the military is also, she she is also called for more uh, domestic development of a defense industry, Uh, although some foreign analysts have pointed out that the uh, amount of budget given to the military is a little bit uh, lower than many of them would like to see, uh, as we've discussed before in the show. Uh, How would you contrast what you're calling for uh, from what President Tsai is calling for, or would you say that you basically agree with the policy that she's putting forward? Uh, In that Aspect I fully support mm. her decision and her approach. I just want to see more actions from our government, mm. from our executive branch, uh, rather than just talking. Mm-hmm. I think our president's eyes points out a correct direction, mm. but uh, the issue is whether or not. She could deliver it. Mm-hmm. She could successfully execute her plan. Mm. That is the issue right now. All right. Well, we're going to leave it on that point uh, and move on to our next story. Uh, but we're going to stick with international affairs and move to a story that has a bit more of a cross-strait sort of tinge to it. Uh, PFP Chairman James Soong returned to Taiwan on Wednesday. He, of course, was Taiwan's representative to the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Leaders Summit. In Lima, Peru. Whew, bit of a mouthful. Uh, and he was tasked with establishing Taiwan's presence at the Summit of World Leaders. So, how did it go? Well, if you ask James Soong, it was a home run! That is a direct quote. I don't know if he quite had that inflection when he said it, but the words at least he said it was a home run. 
Uh, let's look at exactly when, uh, what happened. Uh, the day that he came back, uh, he spent plenty of time patting himself on the back. Uh, at a news conference uh, after the summit's closing ceremony, Soong said that he had interacted with every leader at the meeting without exception. Uh, so home run performance is what we're hearing there. Uh, probably most significant for Taiwan media, he did hold a brief conversation with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Or depends on who you ask. According to Soong, they discussed uh, cross-strait uh, economic and trade exchanges over an eight-hour conversation. That's his story. Others have reported it as a 10-minute conversation. Others have reported it as a, a, a mere exchanging of pleasantries. That's what we're actually getting from uh, Chinese officials. They just said hello. They shook hands. So how big of, uh, of an exchange they had kind of depends on who you ask. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a little bit significant because this question of, you know, how significant was this meeting, it's already been politicized. Uh, if you ask KMT lawmakers, they're going to say, oh, it was nothing. If uh, if Tsai Ing-wen had, you know, affirmed the 1992 consensus, that would have been a meeting. But you can't really have a meeting without the 1992 consensus. If you ask folks uh, in the DPP camp, they, of course, are clapping their hands and saying, uh, Mr. Soong did an excellent job and this meeting uh, bears all kinds of significance. Jane, I mean, how, how seriously should we take this question, or is there some something else that we should have taken away from this meeting? Well, actually, I saw it more in an international context. I was looking at this to see whether China had sort of changed its attitude to Taiwan or how harsh it was going to be. Now, a lot of analysts read this as quite a positive sign because um, even though Sung has had been, visited Beijing before, he's had the red carpet ro- rolled out as head of the PFP, he was still Tsai Ing-wen's envoy. And to some extent, it was business as usual. Um, but I interpret that in the sort of context of the U.S. presidential election. That mm. um, I think China's probably going to be business as usual with Taiwan for quite a while because I think they're very cautious and they don't know anything about Trump. And I was told by an analyst when everyone thought Hillary Clinton would get in that China probably wouldn't adopt a new policy towards Taiwan till May next year because. Mm. They want us. They they know that China bashing is very high before the election, and they want to know where the new administration stands. Now, with Donald Trump in charge, the uncertainties have increased. So, I think China is going to be extremely cautious towards Taiwan. And secondly, I think that the prospect of a grand bargain over Taiwan, it's still very distant or virtually unlikely, but it actually has increased with you know Trump making comments that um, you know it's not going to look after. South Korea and Japan anymore. So it's not within China's interests at all, I think, to treat Taiwan harshly. Mm. Um, if you want to gain control over Taiwan, you, you sort of cozy up to Trump. You don't sort of slap James Sung in the face. Mm-hmm. So I think um, China's probably going to be quite nice towards Taiwan while it sort of works out what it can get from the new US administration. Mm. Uh, Jason, anything you'd add there? Yeah, uh, from my experience, experience, from my experience covering Taiwan politics, uh, James Sung is a Master showman, he's very good at you know promoting and PR and making connections with people. That's and he's also got a really cool re- uh, orange tie. <laughs> yes, it is. He's promoting his party. Having said that, in uh, uh, anyway, this past decade, he has been pushed out of fringe from uh, KMT and now his uh, party. So this is uh, his big opportunity to get back in the line, like mm-hmm. to see that he's important. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think maybe if he, he try to uh, you know, trumpet it up, he'll be, become special envoy, you know, uh, to all sorts of places. But uh, having said that, Jim Song, definitely he, uh, uh, what kind of meaningful, you know, interaction, you don't know. I've been to a lot of international conferences. A lot is, hey, how are you? Ah, you know, things. Exchange of pleasantries. But mm-hmm. Taiwan politicians, they go to, oh, saying, oh, I made very deep, uh, very uh, close. Uh, we, we discuss really serious matter. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's how, you know, I, I see it. It's uh, probably he's making friends and making connections. But let's see the meaningful result. Mm. Uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna turn this into a slightly broader conversation about uh, cross rate policy and all that. But uh, just to start things off, uh, what did you take away from uh, the APEC leaders' summit and Mr. Soong's performance there? Given the circumstance, I believe Mr. Soong was doing his best. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that I do disagree with Soong on several issues, mm-hmm. especially about 
uh, Taiwan's position on the cross-strait mm-hmm. relations. I do believe that when our president sent a representative on behalf of our country, mm. we should stand together mm-hmm. behind the representative. Mm. There should be only one voice, mm. and that voice is to fight for the best interest of my country. Mm. So before Mr. Song uh, went to APEC, I wish him the best, all the success. And from what I heard and seen from the news coverage, uh, he he was really trying to to pull pull everything he can. He put in the effort. Yes. And so I, I don't think we should spend too much time on discussing whether mm-hmm. he had, whether he had a conversation with Mister Xi over one minute, ten minutes, even mm-hmm. eight hours. Mm-hmm. That kind of discussion has only domestic political implications, right? Which, but it doesn't help Taiwan in any way. Mm-hmm. Internationally, mm-hmm. uh, I do hope he brought back some messages for mm-hmm. our president mm-hmm. uh, from other leaders around the world, mm-hmm. and to help her, uh, to help her to make decisions about how uh, she is going to develop our mm-hmm. relations with other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the future, mm-hmm. that is uh, all I can see and read mm. from his participation of APEC. Mm. Broadening the conversation uh, a little bit to look at uh, the last uh, s- six months or so of uh, Tsai Ing-wen's presidency and her approach to cross-strait relations, of course, she's uh, embraced a very ambiguous approach to cross-strait relations, saying, you know, we're going to maintain the status quo, but she won't really say what the status quo is. Uh, That's caused uh, a fair amount of frustration in some quarters. I know that the MPP, of course, uh, your platform is not nearly as ambiguous. You're you're much more straightforward about wanting to clarify Taiwan's constitution to define what Taiwan is, what China is. There's not a lot of ambiguity there. So what do you make of uh, this relatively ambiguous cross-strait policy that you've seen from the Thai administration so far? President Thai is in a very difficult position mm-hmm. because most of her supporters, from what I know, wants Taiwan independence. Mm-hmm. But she needs to strike a balance mm-hmm. between uh, what her supporters want and uh, the relations with Beijing government. So I think she is doing her best to show goodwill to the Beijing government uh, by saying she is going to maintain the status quo. And for that, she faced a lot of pressure from the long-time supporters of DPP who wants to see Taiwan independence. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if the Beijing government realize that because mm-hmm. the Chinese Communist Party keeps pushing her mm-hmm. to accepting the the so-called one China principle. Mm-hmm. There is no way for her to to do that. The stand that she has right now is already controversial. Yes. If she went that far, it would be pandemonium. Her government will collapse. Mm-hmm. That is what I predict. Wow. Mm. So uh, by saying uh, the NPP's position is, as you just mentioned, is straightforward. Mm-hmm. And the Beijing government must realize that mm-hmm. if they do not show some goodwill mm. to President Tsai. They have to deal with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is the pressure. Mm-hmm. The domestic pressure for our president is mm. going to grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And that pressure is not going to move our government toward the direction the Beijing government mm-hmm. would like. Yeah. I, I, 
I really think the Beijing government should think hard and twice. And at the same time, I also ask the NPP also ask our government to to reconsider its strategy、mm. toward Beijing,、mm-hmm. because after all you have done, after all. That goodwill you have show, you still get that kind of call response from Beijing.、Mm-hmm. Then what is the point?、Mm-hmm. What is the point? Yeah. Why not follows、uh, the Taiwan the will of Taiwanese people? Let's have a comprehensive constitutional reform. Let's try to、uh, strengthen Taiwan in every aspect. And move toward the direction of becoming a normal state. I think that kind of voice is going to be louder and louder in the future if the Beijing government is not does not change its stance. Um, I agree with you completely. I'd say there's sort of an elephant in the room, and that's the Guomindang. And I was actually speaking to people in the Guomindang recently about cross-strait policy, and I was asking whether China really understood just how out of touch Hong Shoujiu is with the. Taiwanese population, and he said yes. He said they're very they're very aware, and they're, they're giving calls to all sorts of quarters in the KMT. But he said he had the impression that if China thought that the KMT had absolutely no hope at all, then it would change tack on Taiwan. And I was sort of optimistic. I was sort of hoping that then that would force China to eventually realise the will of the Taiwanese people. But he thought China might take a hard line.、Um, I, I'm not sure about that, but I would certainly say that for China to change its attitude on Taiwan and recognise the will of the Taiwan people, the KMT it has to it has to have the impression that there's absolutely no hope in the KMT at all and never get elected. And if that happens, I think what you want could happen. I do believe KMT we.、Uh KMT is not going to to get back to power、mm. in the near future unless KMT reforms mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. from bottom to top.、Mm. But so far, I didn't see that happening.、Mm-hmm. And the, the NPP's one of the NPP's goal is is to marginalize KMT because I don't believe KMT is even qualified. For supervising、mm. the ruling party,、mm-hmm. because from what、uh, how they、uh, act in the legislative yuan and the message they try to send to the society, I don't see、uh, people will come back to support KMT again, especially among the young generation. I think the KMT's approval rate. Among the young generation is even less than ten percent.、Mm. All right. Well,、uh, that raises a whole bunch of other questions that I really wish we、uh, could get into. But we have a couple more topics that we want to get to before we wrap things up. So we're going to have to keep things moving. But very interesting conversation so far. I, I really wish I could、uh, pose a couple more follow up questions. But let's let's stick with the news because that's what we do around here,、uh, and continue on to another story that we've been following. The legislative process for marriage equality moved forward yesterday. Of course, yesterday was the first of two public hearings、uh, held on marriage equality.、Uh, these were demanded by KMT legislators at last week's committee meeting、uh, to review the various amendments that would、uh, push towards marriage equality. Of course,、uh, three amendments had been put forward from the DPP, the NPP,、uh, and the KMT. Although it was KMT legislators that kind of stopped the process last week and said, "Hey, hey, hey, we need more discussion." Originally, they were calling for just a whole bunch of hearings.、Uh, instead, they got two. I think they were pushing for more than ten, but instead, they got two. Yesterday was the first one,、uh, and、uh, I, I think this was a big disappointment to、uh, many advocates of same-sex marriage in Taiwan because historically,、uh, any time where these quote-unquote hearings were brought up. Uh, it's mostly been used as a stalling tactic and has completely diverted the entire process, made it in- impossible to move forward. I think a lot of people believe that that's what we're seeing here as well,、uh, and、uh, we we really expected yesterday to see some pretty big clashes between supporters on both sides of this issue.、Uh, but I, I think it was maybe a little bit more staid. Than we were、uh, expecting, but I wasn't there. So let's turn it over to a couple of folks who were there,
Uh, yesterday, you know, we had the hearing inside the legislature. We had the uh, various protesters on both sides of the issue outside of the leg- legislature. What did you see while you were there, Jane? Um, well, what struck me the most, actually, was just the security in the legislative UN. <laughs> and mm. it's kind of really stunning because, like, with really sensitive issues like mainland affairs, for example, I can just walk into the MAC without any problems. But I nearly didn't get into the hearing, and I was practically frisked by the police. I wasn't mm. frisked, but, you know, they were just mm-hmm. really tough. And well, I you think- do look pretty dangerous, just to be <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm trying to say is... We need to put a metal detector on the studio door, (laughs) folks like you walking around. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, actually, I went through three police. The first, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let me into the LY, and then Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let me get my card. Then when I'd finally completed all the procedures, and I had to get the legislative assistant to Jason Shu to come out and help Mm -hmm. me, then another cop stopped me. But anyway, (laughs) so I thought that sort of really showed the degree of polarisation, that Mm. um, national security issues don't get the same degree of security. That's a good point. That's a very good point, yeah. Uh, Jason, you were there as well. What did you see while you were there? Yeah, I was at the hearing, and uh, of course, I went out. I'm uh, always interested in if there are protests outside. It's always fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How the interaction, and it was all and peacefully. It was good, but uh, and journalistic value, right? Journalistic yes, value, okay, definitely. <laughs> and uh, but hearing for me is that for the hearing, it, it was very good to hear a very diverse voice from all the different spectrum. You know, like some are for family values, some for for equality of right. You know, for uh, you know. Uh, Rights of uh, same-sex couple to marriage and also adopt children, and there are other people saying, "Oh, we are you know uh, confusion of Chinese culture and and all these are Western import values." So um, it, it, it's good that there are a lot of views being expressed, and you know, professor. But now I think it, it it's coming down to saying, you know, they're gonna whether go through with amending that civil code or mm-hmm. to uh, draft another. Special law just focus on you know a same sex couple without you know affecting the the, the civil current code. laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in any case, it, it was this is the first of second uh, first. This was the first uh, public hearing, and there will be a second one, mm-hmm. and that might be the the more uh, maybe the uh, protests will come mm-hmm. out for the, the final round, so called. Mm-hmm. Uh, That'll be the Sunday, right? Uh, next week, I think. Next week, okay. Yeah. Okay, so coming up next week. Yeah. Now, it's. I know that the MPP uh, supports marriage equality. Uh, the it, most most often the argument against it, which largely coming from religious groups, is that uh, for such an important issue, you really want to consult all Taiwanese people. Maybe you should put it to a plebiscite, something like that. They're basically saying, you know, uh, we don't want to see this rammed through by a couple of uh, political activists, a couple of uh, people that are, are, are just, you know, running it through the political process as fast as possible. We really want all of Taiwan to be consulted on this issue. What do you say to those sorts of concerns? Actually, the plan to amend our civil code to promote marriage equality is not a new thing mm. to pump up mm-hmm. suddenly. Mm-hmm. It, the movement has been going on for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Many, many gay couples, they were discriminated mm-hmm. and uh, lack of legal protection. That kind of unfair treatment has been lasting for too long. Mm. I respect all kind of religions because I do believe the most important aim for any kind of religions is to promote love, mm-hmm. respect, and uh, happiness. And those gay couples, they just want equal treatment of that kind of legal protections. Ordinary couples can enjoy. They don't want any privilege or mm. special treatment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, I was trying to be very patient about uh, hearing all kinds of viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, those religious groups mm-hmm. try to say it, and I encouraged everyone in every citizen in mm-hmm. Taiwan mm-hmm. to to spend some time on hearing 
what they said in yesterday's hearings because I was kind of, I, I was not persuaded by them at all. Instead,、mm-hmm. what they said、mm-hmm. increased my <laughs> determination to、yeah. help、mm-hmm. those same-sex,、uh, the gay couples,、mm-hmm. to to get. Uh, legal protections, such as I, from what I heard, my organ is actually not mine. It belongs to someone else. I don't have the power to control it.、Mm. And <laughs> I, it, it, it was th- there was a bunch of crazy stuff said at yesterday's hearing. I respect their viewpoints. I simply cannot agree with it. Mm-hmm. Now,、uh, kind of getting away from the specific issue of、uh, gay marriage, because I I think everybody knows where they stand on this issue,、yes. you know. But looking at the 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 process here, I, I think Jane raises a really interesting point: just the police presence that was there,、uh, and how we've seen. I mean, this this specific issue. Led to a very short but a real occupation of the legislative yuan. We've had our first occupation of the legislative yuan in the Thai presidency, and it was over this issue.、Um, and it seems like again and again, whether we're talking about labor rights, whether we're talking about、uh, gay marriage, any controversial issue has kind of gone to this place where somebody is going to be obstructionist, somebody is going to call into question the procedure that's going on,、uh, and it's going to turn into this big show. Uh, where it's it's really difficult to get any actual legislating done,、um, and the KMT, of course, are saying, "Well, we learned from the best. We learned this from the DPP. We learned this from、uh, the Sunflower Movement."、Um, what are your thoughts on the trajectory of、uh, Taiwan's political system right now and its ability to actually carry out difficult conversations and make difficult legislation move forward? Actually, I don't think. The legal process of passing a legislation in Taiwan is especially difficult compared with the legal process in other countries. Oh, you're not talking about America, are you? <laughs> I'm talking about America. <laughs> <laughs>、oh, my ears are burning. Okay. <laughs> so I I think it's fair to have two public hearings.、Mm-hmm. The second one is going to be ended. Mm-hmm. Next week,、mm-hmm. and after the two public hearings, the committee should set up a date、mm. to have、uh, legislators to talk about the the different kinds of bills, and、uh, to see whether or not、um, most legislators、uh, support the bill.、Mm. Uh, I without deliberate delay. I think is very possible we can pass the legislation、uh, before next summer.、Mm. So we it takes the legislative yuan only one year to pass such an important bill.、Mm-hmm. I will not say that is a, a prolonged process given the importance. Mm-hmm. Of the beer,、mm-hmm. and but、uh, for Taiwan's democracy, I do believe that not only people have to understand democracy is not simply about voting,、mm-hmm. but also our legislators、mm-hmm. have to realize the same thing、mm-hmm. as well.、Mm. We need discussion.、Mm. We need deliberation. We need to exchange different of views. After that have been all done, then the next move is for the legislative body to take its respond its responsibility to make the final decisions.、Mm. I think、uh, that is the way our democracy should be moving toward to learn the essence of democracy. Is to to deliberate, to debate, to to exchange different views. So, but everyone has to respect other people's choice on a specific issue.、Mm. No one's opinions is above all other people. I think that is、uh, that kind of spirit 
should guide us to make our democracy more mature in the future. All right, and uh, on that note, we're going to leave that conversation there. And move to our final segment for the show. This is our bonus podcast segment. Uh, and today, we don't really have a story to talk about. There wasn't really too much funny news this week, to be honest. So instead, what we're going to do is uh, we are going to make some fun. We're going to make fun uh, with Legislator Huang. And uh, what we're going to do is make a little segment called What You've Always Wanted to Ask a Legislator But Never Had the Chance to, uh, and ask a couple of questions that really have nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with policy, uh, just to, you know, get a sense for what is a legislator's life really like. Uh, and, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start things off. You just brought up America a second ago, uh, some of its failings. I'll say it so you don't have to, <laughs> some of its failings. But uh, actually, you, you have direct experience of America. You, you got some of your schooling there. And yes. just out of curiosity, uh, what, is, is there anything from America? Because you spent quite a bit of time there. Is there anything from America that you really miss, uh, especially since yesterday was Thanksgiving? Uh, is there anything, uh, Thanksgiving food, uh, wide open roads, suburbs, anything in America that you particularly miss here in Taiwan? Hot dog. Hot dog, really? In the Yankee Stadium. Huh. Well, if you're going to get a hot dog, you got to get it in Yankee Stadium. That's fair. That's fair to yeah, say. At that time, uh, one picture from the basketball player from mm-hmm. Taiwan, uh, Wang Jiamin, mm. was playing for Yankee. Mm. And he got a record of getting 19th win mm. in one season. Mm. And I, I was so impressed mm-hmm. of his performance at the Yankee Stadium. Mm. So I went to the the Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. and I spent uh, close to $300 mm. to get a seat. Mm. And I told myself, gee, this seat must be so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I can see very clearly how he pitched. Yeah. yeah but, but when I arrived, I was directed to my seat. Mm-hmm. It's not as close as I wish. <laughs> doesn't get you as far as you thought. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Hot dogs from the U.S. Uh, Jane, do you you have a question prepared? Yeah, um, this actually relates to politics, but as a former leader of the Sunflower Movement, if you regret anything about the events in 2014, what is it? What's your – do you have any regrets? Or do you think you could have handled something better during the Sunflower Movement? I did have regrets because uh, the pace of the movement was – very fast. Everything moved so fast. So if uh, we could have another chance, I would like to include more people, more participants in that movement into the uh, decision-making mechanism. And I think that is one thing we did not uh, do good enough at that time. Yeah, because it was a little bit of resentment afterwards. A lot of yes. people feeling that the leadership kind of took too much control and yes. didn't consult enough. Yes. Mm. Jason? Yeah, I'm interested in upcoming election uh, about MPP, your plans. Are you going to recruit more like like Freddie and Hong Siyong, Gao Lu Yong, young and, you know, really uh, Have some active, personality. Energetic and also Taika, the rock star. Are you success in that? I know you've been opening up a lot of offices around Taiwan for the election. I'm interested in that. Is that going to be a, a defining uh, feature of NPP politics, of having these uh, energetic, young, lots of personality kind of people? That is the top secret oh. of NPP right now. So I, I cannot reveal that at this time. Okay. All right. I've got, I've got, I've got one more question, and then we'll, then we'll let you go. Uh, I notice that, uh, obviously, Freddie Lim, you know, he's known as uh, a metal rocker. He has really long, uh, kind of garish hair. You yourself, I mean, you don't you don't play it up too much. But if you look at some photos of you, you you have hair that kind of flaps in many directions. I'm wondering if there's any kind of a rivalry between you and Freddie Lim because you both have great hair. I want I wanted to say that you both have great hair. Is there any kind of a style rivalry between the two of you? They asked really smart questions. I'm only going to ask dumb questions. Uh, uh, let me put it this way: mm-hmm. Freddie Lim is a cool 
rock star. Yeah, I'm a boring little scholar. <laughs> so there is no competition between us in that regard at all. You're saying he already won. Yes. <laughs> like I said, like I said, Obama made legal scholars cool. You just got to jump on that bandwagon. Uh, I will try. I. I will try to improve myself. <laughs> all right, well, in that perspective. All right. Well, you're doing all right on, uh, in my book. We have been speaking to NPP legislator Huang Guachang or Casey Huang. Casey Huang, thanks so much for speaking with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. That is it for the show today. Please do join us again next time. Time when this week broadcasts every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100, right about 8.15. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, a couple of other places as well. You know where to look. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined by Jason Pan. Thank you, Jason. Uh, good evening. And Jane Rickards. Thank Thanks you, Jane. and good night, Keith. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.